Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you're here. What can we do right now, this week, in fact, today, to move all students to academic success? That's our topic. I've selected seven things from my work that's research-based, these best practices that can move all learners upward. One thing that really frustrates students and teachers is when we, when they see questions on these high-stakes tests that look different than what they've been learning in class. I overheard a frustrated student not long ago say just out loud, she sighed, she said, on the test prep, the questions look different than what we've been doing in class and on homework. In language arts, it might be that the the writing prompts are worded differently. In all subjects, you'll hear the tests had vocabulary that I just didn't know. In math, sometimes the problems seem harder than what they've seen in class. Perhaps in class, we're solving some problems, but then they take the test and there's an error analysis. This mismatch can throw students for a loop, and we're not really setting them up for success if that rigor is different than what we're doing every day, than what they're going to see in these test questions. So I've isolated seven things that are easy to implement, things to think about that we can start doing right now if we're not already doing them. Number one, to address that rigor gap that they might encounter, we have to have laser-like planning and work on that every day. When I'm working in buildings, the first thing I do is we map out our standards walls. We take that standard from a unit perspective. We don't just look at today. We don't just jump in and start planning a lesson today. We back up, step back, look at the unit that may take us three weeks or or a month to be on. We we put in the middle where we're going to go at the end of this thing. What do we want students to be doing in the next three, at the end of three weeks, at the end of this unit? Only then do we start mapping out our learning targets because each one of those learning targets is going to build and get those students to that place in the middle. We look at those verbs as we're moving. Now we step back and look at this concept map and we create lessons. We think about how long that's going to take us to get there. Within each lesson now, we want to backward design and say, where do we want our students to be at the end of each learning session? So we're going to craft some small formative pieces first, some ticket out the door, some stop, drop, and do a problem, the parts of an essay, what three questions about economies, whatever it is. We're going to first start with the unit. Now we break it down into lessons. Now we create small, formative, soft assessments. Where do we want our students to be along this journey? If we jump right into activities, we're running a real risk on this, all right? If we jump right in and look for activities, we're running the risk that students may not be learning at the right level of rigor for that standard. And where we can find ourselves is it looks like everybody's doing great because everybody's working. Students are compliant. They're turning things into the bin. They may even be doing well on their little uh, assessments that we're giving them. They're working hard, but hamsters work hard, right? They're just not going anywhere. The ongoing work needs to progressively build that rigor. For example, in a reading class, we want to see those reading pieces get more challenging, right? In the math classroom, that practice is going to increase in difficulty. Our ticket out the doors or whatever you want to call them need to have that appropriate level of difficulty. 
So we don't want to be activity-based. We don't want to see, hey, oh, we're teaching slope. Let me get online and find some activities. Oh, we're teaching the three kinds of economies. Let me get online and find something cool. Some of that stuff may be perfect. It might be just yay, but it may not be at the level of rigor. So this first first thing I'm talking about is to make rigor a part of every single lesson. Get them accustomed to that level of rigor, right? Because we don't want to throw them when these tests come and they're at a different level of rigor. Because someone miles and miles away from you who's creating these assessments is looking at that at that standard and they are unpacking that standard and they are making decisions about where that rigor is, all right? So where do we want our students to be at the end of the unit? Now we break that into pieces. Where do you want them to be at the end of each learning episode? What do you want those soft formative assessments to look like? These aren't things we're grading normally. What do you want their homework, their practice problems to look like? How are we going to get them there? So we're going to first map this out because rigor takes a real roadmap to get them there. So number one is to plan for rigor and incorporate that every day. So there are no surprises for kids. Well, there are always going to be surprises, but not as many. Number two, this is a big one, open with a bang, open with a bang. The opening minutes are hugely important of each lesson. In the opening minutes, we need to hear, hey, what's our learning target? Let's go for using standards walls, whatever method you're using. Hey, let's look at that learning target. Here's the expectation. This is where you need to be. So what are we doing? Number two, we want to spark intellectual curiosity. We want to try to get some relationship with those kids about how this learning relates to you. It might be your data plan on your phone, how you can figure out how much data you have left to your billing cycles over. Whatever it is, we got to come. There's some relationship to that student, hopefully, that we can make. We also want to get them starting out of the gate, thinking at a higher level. All right. Years ago, a practice starting that we have been combating ever since, and that are these passive low warm ups. Okay, and it started as a classroom management technique. Get them in out of the halls, get them something on the board, get those kids busy. It has some value, right? It has some values. I've done them. But the reality is we want to get those kids thinking higher at the in the opening minutes. All right. For example, if I'm about to teach a banking lesson, I may give students a survey with a real problem. Hey, you got your first job, you got to find a bank. What are you interested in? You want a bank that is involved in the community, you want a bank that gives a high interest rate, you want a bank with a lot of locations. If I'm creating a lesson on pork barrel spending, I'm going to have students guess, what do you think's actually in the budget and what do you think's not in the budget? In science, it might be a demonstration. In math, it might be the real world of this. Now, there are three kinds of openers, unit, lesson, and bridge. So there, it depends. I can usually walk in a classroom and figure out where we are. A unit's a big deal. They don't know much about this. We're just kicking off supply and demand. We're just kicking this off. So they don't have a lot of prior knowledge. So that's going to look a little bit different. A lesson opener is going to also look a little different. And then we have a bridge. A bridge means I was teaching this yesterday. I just want to get them going. And that may be where we see two or three math problems, pick two out of the three, or a quick prompt, a writing prompt or something. So they have different purposes. In general, that oh, those opening minutes should be about 10% of the lesson, but it's, it's bigger than that. There's a purpose of this. That was opening minutes. Set up the teach time. Make a kid want to listen. Make a kid want to really do this. That is where the interest is. And we know motivation depends on a relevant, interesting task. And motivation depends on self-efficacy. Can I? Do I feel like I can do this? And is there a reason for me to do it? All that happens in the opening minutes. We also know about primacy recency. That, that research has been around for years. 
We know we remember the most from the opening minutes and the end, the middle we kind of drop. So what happens is if we're doing these passive warmups and those eat up 14 minutes, they're already, their brain is already dropping. They're losing, we're losing them. And now I'm trying to teach you something new and complicated when you're in the low zone of your brain. So I do all kinds of, to me, this is the best part of the lesson, right? So we might do some agree, disagree, some sometimes, always, never. Some might use some pictures. But even if we're showing a video, I need them to respond. For example, I was in a, class, a science classroom not long ago. And there was a really cool video, but the students were just passively watching it. We don't want them passive. I want those kids working. All right. They need to be responding to that video. Some interesting things about it. What that has to do with the vocabulary. We need to get them out of the gate strong. I don't want them slumping in the opening minutes. We're done. So number two, maximize those opening minutes because they really matter. That's what sets up that lesson. Number three, we have to carve out time for students to practice, make sense of things, create things, talk, construct, meaning. Here's our big question. What do I need to teach you? What do I need to model? How much do I need to show you? And then what can I let you discover on your own? What do you need to practice on your own? Practice depends on the task. Practice, amount of practice depends on the student, right? But we know that practice has a healthy effect size. We have to give them time to make sense of this. They have to do something with the information, right? Let me tell you something I learned when doing that second. This just blew me away when I read this because, boy, do I see it all the time. And it's, it was me as well. When we're under a lot of pressure to pass these tests, I got to get my kids over the line, right? We've got a pacing guide. We have to move, right? What happens is we tend to want to push out. We want to push out because it's like, sit there and listen. We have to get there, right? The reality is we're hurting ourselves and our students there. We're, it's counterproductive. All right, we need to stop. Give them a moment. Do two problems. Give them a moment. Stand up and talk to your partner about this. Give them, draw an idea that you have about this. Take your own blood pressure, whatever it is you're teaching. We have to give them time to process this information because otherwise it's just overflow. And we may feel great about the fact that I made it to the Civil War by November, but they're not going to remember it. Nothing's more frustrating, is there, than when we get ready to do test prep and, this, and these kids act like they've never seen this stuff in their lives, right? Where did it go? Where did it go? It's because they did not have time to make sense and practice and get the hang of things. So we have to give them time. Note-taking has a high effect size, but note-taking, there, there are some parameters with that. Verbatim notes where we're just copying exactly what I have on the board is not very effective. Now, there are times I have to do that. Okay. If there are clear steps you're going to be following in our lab today, clear steps to do this math problem, I need you to write this down exactly. There's a time for that. But even then, I can have students step back and do your takeaway. Step, step back, highlight those three steps. Step back, talk to your partner about what we're going to do. Even in that situation, I've got to give those kids some ownership on those notes so they become their notes. Draw a picture in the margin, whatever it is you need to do. So even on note taking, I've got to give them a moment. So number three is get, we got to give them some some time. Got to carve out some time. Number four. Oh my gosh, I put this in the middle to soften the blow. All right, so buckle up. Just because they're working in groups does not mean that that lesson is working for you. Okay, we've tried so hard over the last whatever years to get out of the cemetery rows. Right, get out of that whole group. I do not walk in a classroom when I'm doing walks and see groups and think, yay, this is going to be wonderful anymore 
then when I walk in and see people in 28 deaths in rows, do I think that that may not be a good lesson? Groups are, need to be purposeful, okay? The purpose of the group is not to replace independent student work, all right? The purpose of this group work or collaborative learning is to give students some time to practice and process to prepare them for independent work. We put this in front. It's that gradual release, right? We put this in front of independent work to give students some time to hash it out, talk about it, do some research, get on my phone, do this, you know, write, read, do some problems. It's wonderful, but it's not wonderful if there's no purpose in it. So don't get in this habit of just, oh, group time, right? Because that may not be happening for you, all right? Groups cannot be loosely constructed. Flexible grouping is a beautiful thing. But loosely constructed groups with no purpose is not a beautiful thing. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news on that one, guys. Okay, number five. I tell you, the more we know about the research, the more daunting this becomes. We got to have a full court press on vocabulary, all right? It's got to be every day's vocabulary day. We've got to really immerse these kids in vocabulary. Let me tell you what can happen. Student, a student enters school and they have a gap. Around third grade, we start loading them up on academic vocabulary. All of a sudden, they got to know what a parallelogram and a trapeze, all this stuff, right? So if they didn't know, if they were weak on what we call incidental vocabulary, conversational vocabulary, words like increase, decrease, decline, whatever, now we add all this academic vocabulary. Guess what just happened? That text became too dense for them to read. In math, what it looks like is a word problem where they don't know enough of the words to understand the word problem, but it happens in every class. So they're not able to understand. Now, vocabulary is tricky. There's so much coming at them, and every student we have has a different vocabulary bank, right? Here's what we know. It takes six exposures for your average student over time in varying ways to learn one new vocabulary word. So the first thing to step back and think about is which words are the most important. Because think of a student who's got six subjects and we learn science vocabulary. We learn about cell walls and vacuoles and all that wonderful stuff. And then we go over here and we learn about trapezoids. And then we go over here and we learn about, you know, different kinds of economies. Then we go here, we learn about alliteration and automatopoeia. Then we go here, we learn art terms and we go, you know, it's just all day long. It's too much. It's too much. And some really good students, and we were all probably good students, we could memorize it and come on in and take that vocabulary quiz. And 10 days later, we have no idea what that word means. So we have really got to make an effort. Now, the good news about vocabulary is it doesn't take a lot of bells and whistles. It doesn't take a lot of planning time, all right, to have good vocabulary. It could be turn to your partner, turn to your partner. It could be stand up and trace out, trace out parallelogram. It could be stand up. It could be act this out. We know that nonverbal representations, draw a picture, act it out. Those are more powerful than text. We know that copying a, a, a dictionary definition or off your phone has almost no effect size. It has to be everyday language that they understand with some pictures. Stand up and be a ratio, right? It has to be everyday. It could be turn to your partner. It could be roll a cube and let's all say it, say it like a pirate would say it. Whatever you want to do. Now, I use tip charts as my anchor, but this isn't the entire thing that I do. A tip chart is stands for term, info, picture, right? So we have a brand new word. 
and we say, oh my gosh, we've been talking about products today. We've been talking about pro- that word product can have so many different word meanings, right? Let's write the word product up there. So what is a product? We talk about it. Let's write that down. Put it on your tip chart. Now make a picture of a product. Make a picture of a product. So tomorrow that student comes in. I use the word product. What's the product? That student can look over at that tip chart and say, I know. I know what that is. They have to see it over and over. I openly tell my students, hey, guys, it takes a while in this vocabulary. You know, as teachers, why do we know it? We know it because we have been immersed in this vocabulary every single day for years. Right? We're so tired of hearing that word. They need that multiple exposure. So you may even want to add on to their homework a picture. Add on a Venn diagram. Add on a frayer. Add on a word map. Okay? Use some maps. Uh, you know, you know, some word, you can do all kinds of things. I mean, some apps and some maps that rhymes. Um, there are vocabulary apps that are fun on their phones. And you know, if I'm doing stations, I might have a concentration game. I might have a cube that we roll. So that vocabulary has got to be front and center every day. All right. I, I, I had a teacher recently tell me, she said, all year long, I taught that as characteristics. They took the test and it said attributes. And I watched my students freeze. They knew the math, but they didn't know the word attributes. So five is vocabulary. Number six. Number six, a big one. Well, they're all big, right? Ongoing evidence of learning from the opening minute of that class to the closing minute of that learning episode. I am collecting evidence on what you know. You're collecting evidence on what you know. We open with that learning target. Here's what we're learning, guys. And we build that evidence. If I keep portfolios, I have them in a crate. We're just, we're just building our evidence, all right? The student, as they get older, they understand that they're showing me their evidence of their work. All right. So how I, how are my students doing in my class? How's our department doing? How's our school doing every day? We don't, I don't have to wait for some benchmark from some publisher somewhere to tell me how my kids are doing. All right. I'm always looking at how my students are doing. The big question really is who knows what, who knows what, when I'm teaching, I'm looking at who knows what. If they're in pairs, they're groups, they're in stations, I've always got some student accountability. If I'm doing stations, there's an individual piece. It could be a, a graphic organizer there at station three. We work together. But you know what? Now I want you to do one problem on your own. I want you to write something on your own. I want you gathering information on your own. Whatever method you're do, using, I need to know who knows what all the time. The worst thing for me, the thing that keeps me up at night is not knowing who knows what. Okay. If I know, then I can fix it. But if I don't know, I don't know. Right. So things not to do. All right. Thumbs up. Every student's going to put a thumb in the air because why? They want you to go away. They just want you to go away. So yeah, lady, I'll put a thumb up. You know, I always joke that we should put little liars on their thumb. They, they're not telling you the truth with their thumb. I hear things like kiss your brain, clap three times. No, I can't tell their parent that I think they've really got this because they kissed their brain today, put a thumb in the air or clap three times. I need concrete evidence all the time. All right. Because that allows me to fix it. For example, I've done fix it Fridays. Okay, I'm gathering evidence all week. Fix it. Hey, fix it Friday's here. Last 30 minutes of the day, we're going to go to different classrooms. Miss Baker's going to reteach this. So-and-so is going to show a We're going to do show a video on this. We got a Khan Academy over. We got things to fix it. All right. We've got tutoring going on. I've run boot camps. Whatever you got to do, but I have to know the information. I can tell you, I was in a building once. You would not have believed our room. We had pictures of every student and we knew everything they pretty much knew. Now, was it 100% correct? No, it was our best, best ideas on this from gathering information. But we know what that student still needs. But you know what? 
if I'm using collecting that unknowing data, I can move other kids on. Remember that differentiated instruction is for everybody. We've got kids who are ready to move on. So that allows us to add some enrichment for those students as well. So who knows what is the big question every day? All right. Okay, number seven. I may have gotten off on my numbers. Sorry. This is the one area I think almost everybody needs to grow in, including me. The closing minutes. You know, I'll get this great opener, get this great stuff going on. And I'm like, oh, look at the time. Look at the time. So I'll rush together some ticket out the door or something. And I can't even look at it. Okay, They're home. Unless I'm planning on calling them, that ticket out the door is not going to help me right now. The closing minutes are the end of the movie, the end of the race, whatever you want to say. The whole lesson was designed to get us to the end of this so I can see where you are. And then what do we sometimes do? Skip the end of the movie. We get up, walk out because it's like, oh, look at the time, right? If we had to put a timer on ourselves, whatever we got to do, we have to stop there because that is super important. We've done all of this learning and now I need to know how you're doing on this. So this is what it should sound like. We got five minutes left in class, six minutes left in class, whatever you've got. And we say, hey, guys, let's go back to that learning target we started with today. This is what we're learning about. We're comparing and contrasting renewable and non-renewable energy. We're analyzing three different kinds of economies. Let's see how we're doing on that. This is not stuff I'm going to grade normally, but I'm going to have them do two math problems. I'm going to have them do a Venn diagram comparing two economies. I'm going to have them highlight which part of your essay you think you need to grow on, which part is super strong. Uh, this is something I'm going to collect. I'm going to look at this. This is our ongoing, whether you want to keep a journal, however you want to organize this is whatever up to you, but I need to know where you are every day. Okay. They need to know where they are every day because this will get away from you if not. Okay. I was in a building once where administrators actually created these. And they came by and picked them up once a week. What I recommend is once a week we get together and say, hey, on Wednesdays, we're going to do one sticky note problem. We're going to do one thing here. And we're going to look as a department now. So I've got my classroom data I'm developing. That's hugely important for me. But are you at the point where you could share that with other people? Do you feel comfortable sharing that with your department or your school and just saying, hey, here's where we are. This is where we are right now. Okay. Because I got to know where we are in, in other words, in, in, to grow these kids, right? What do I do with that information? It's one thing to collect it, but I got to use it. Number one, of course, we adjust our information. We adjust we, our instruction. I mean, we adjust, we adjust our instruction based on that soft data. And then I'm looking back and saying, where are we right now? In other words, if that assessment were given today on that standard, how would my students do? All right. Then I'm going to start developing some solutions. What solutions do we have? Do we need some tutoring? Do I need to get a new, a new, a new station maybe to work on that? What am I going to do to help that student? Right? Who knows what? That's the big one, right? I'm always scanning to look around to see who's got what, looking at their evidence and gathering evidence. And of course, as students get older, they're a big part of this process, right? Okay. Quirky bit of research. Well, we're stressed about pacing guys, test scores, feeling like everything's on my shoulders. We can have that panic feeling of, you got to sit in that desk and let me explain this to you. Don't move. The opposite is what will help them more. Give them some breaks. Let them play with it. Let them have some fun with it. Let them explore it. 
They're going to remember. They're not going to remember. The memory does not do well with stuff that's just pushed out. So it may feel good right now that because I made it to where I wanted to make it to, but the reality is they, they're not going to remember it probably, right? Now, I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating about this. I remember a social studies class that actually had to go. The teacher was expected to go from 30, 33,000 BC to current day. So take 33,000 BC to today and divide that by 180 days of school. How much am I supposed to teach every day, right? You see the stress we're under. So we got to step back and make good decisions about this, right? Because pushing things out at rapid fire can have the reverse effect if they don't have time to write, practice, think. Here's the thing goes, guys, on that last minute, that's got to match the rigor, all right? So if your final close was something like just write a sentence about this or write just a few words about this, that is not the rigor that was probably expected for that standard. So on number one, what I was talking about is what? That rigor takes planning. We unpack, we map out, we create these devices before so that we are on track for that rigor. That was number one. Number two, open with a bang. Okay, they remember the opening minutes, ditch those low-level passive warm-ups, okay? Think about 15 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day times 180 days of instruction. My gosh, all right? Look at all the instructional time that we used on that. We want to get them thinking at a higher level, get them excited, intellectually curious. I know they all can't be fantastic. We're not all Steven Spielberg over here creating these things, but we want to really focus on those opening minutes. Number three was give them time to work, give them time to practice, give them time to write, give them time to make sense, give them time to talk. All right. They need to be the active participants. If we're showing a video in the opening minutes, they're doing something with it. Okay. That's why I love sorting and things with their hands because I can get every student to do a sort. All right. Think about who's the most active learner in your classroom today. Is it you or is it your kids? Number four was the big one. I hate to be the bearer of bad news on that because we've worked so hard to get them in groups, but just being in a group doesn't mean the great learning is taking place. I don't know how much you're relying on the other people. I'm all about collaborative learning, but there has to be a process. There has to be uh, some supports in there. I got to look at their independent work. Remember that groups try to get them ready to work independently. I've got to know with your name where you are. Okay. Number five, every day is vocabulary day. Every day is vocabulary day. The good news here is that it doesn't have to be a lot of prep time. Hey, turn to your partner. Hey, stand up. Let's play taboo. All right. Uh, draw a picture of that word. Half, half of you stand up and be renewable energy. The other half of the class be non-renewable energy. Act it out. Anything you can do, just keep that vocabulary going. I can, I hear every day when I'm in classrooms, gosh, you learned this in middle school. You learned this in elementary school. That is a good example of how they don't really have it. Vocabulary is not black and white. It's not like, oh, I know it great or I don't know it at all. Most of it's gray. They've seen the word domain and range before. They've seen those words. They just don't own it yet. It is a long process to get the vocabulary. Number six, gather and document that ongoing evidence of learning from the start of class to the end. The opening minutes articulate that learning chart because the closing minutes we go and we have that final chance to demonstrate your learning. So, and, but in between the opening and the close, we've got all these other opportunities to, to gather evidence. All right. We got gather evidence. Remember who knows what and what are we going to do about it? And that last one's to really maximize those last minutes. I'm going to close with this story. I was, I was setting up to, uh, to do some professional development in a big high school. It was an early release day. And so there were some students milling around the cafeteria. They asked me what I was doing. I said, oh, you know, teachers, we're always learning. We're always trying to be better at our craft. We never stop expanding our knowledge, trying to help you guys. So I said to them, look, 
tell me what's the number one thing you'd want me to share with your teachers? What's the one thing you think teachers could do that would help you more? This young man did not even take a breath. He said this, tell them that they just keep on moving. They just keep on going. They just keep on explaining and talking half the time. We don't even know what they're talking about. They need to stop once in a while and check on us and see how we're doing. And I thought, you know what? You have just encapsulated volumes of educational research. We need to teach what we need to teach, and then we need to stop. We need to let them explore, practice, create, design, construct, and we need to check on them and know who knows what at any time. I'm so glad you joined me today. I just so appreciate everything you do. Teachers are so amazingly awesome. I love being a teacher. It's fantastic. Join us every week for our podcast. Hope you're having a fantastic day. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our author's work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.